Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That is good to know. Hello. Welcome to the Yowie Show. Grab a seat and relax. If this bravado is working, it's because it is 7.03 in the morning. Corolla has once again managed to be in the (laughs) best time zone. I'm sorry. And we have a person who is approximately 150% more brilliant and intelligent than either of us combined joining us on the show. Thank you. Um, Yeah, hi. That is too kind. But anyway, thank you. Do I need to introduce myself or you're going to introduce me? You know what? I would love it if you introduce yourself and if we feel like you were uh, not sufficiently um, apt with displaying your eminence and <laughs> ability, we will be sure to add on. You're far too kind. Um, so my name is James Welker and I am a professor in the Department of Cross-Cultural Studies in the faculty of, wait, is it cross-cultural and no, international, sorry, cross-cultural and Japanese studies. It's a relatively new faculty. We've restructured and the names were, I can't keep the name straight um, or anything else at that point. But anyway, at Kanagawa University in Yokohama, Japan. So if you follow my Instagram and you are following in late autumn through the winter, I have some marvelous, marvelous photos of Mount Fuji that I can take from my office. I've seen those, they're amazing. That is like the one thing that I didn't really get to see when I was in Japan. I was in in October. Um, I did not get to see Mount Fuji. There are, however, several images of me at Gachapon machines making little gremlin faces. That is far more important than Mount Fuji. Mount Fuji <laughs> is shy, and you need to know where it is. And yes, it's because you can often make out the shadow of it, especially at dusk. But mm-hmm. you need to know exactly where to look, unless it's a clear day. I just realized I've never seen it. I've been three times, and I was like, wait, I've never seen Mount Fuji. <laughs> yeah, this is what happens when you send a couple of Fujin to Japan. It's There's photos of me at an owl cafe having a religious experience, because I'm holding an owl. And a lot of images of me looking like Gollum from Lord of the Rings in front of a gachapon machine. I mean, I just... I just live in Ultima Road, and then I go to see, you know, <laughs> Gakt. So, okay. okay. There is, there, so, I assume you know who Erica Friedman is. Yeah. Like yes. the, the, the premier Yuri fan of all. She and her <laughs> wife visit um, Japan, um, well, prior to the pandemic, relatively recently. And mm-hmm. somehow, no matter what time of year it is, they always manage to see Mount Fuji. I don't know how. What? They just have this gift. Maybe it's Patty's gift, uh, Eric's wife, her gift. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway. Maybe. Oh, but that's amazing. 
we are here, you know, it's Pride Month here in the U.S. Um, oh, I totally forgot about that, but I'm wearing a Pride yeah, shirt. Yeah, I love that. I I'm, wearing, <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing all black because I live in Texas, and uh, my state has decided that it doesn't know what human rights are anymore. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I am too. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, we, Corolla and I, felt like it was important that as we go into Pride, as... You know, some of the discourse has been particularly spicy recently that we actually talk about BL scholarship and what it is, why it matters. Because on this show, we are very, very pro BL scholarship and we say it all the time. We're affluent about it. But in doing that, I think both of us realized we haven't talked about what that is outside of us. Like, instead of, like, baseball cards, it's um, academics for us. <laughs> like, instead of, like, we don't really have, like, baseball cards or anything. It's little, like, printed out. It's like, oh, yeah, I have, a, you know, <laughs> it's, like, this one academic that, like, five people have heard about. I'll trade you my PDF for that. For that yeah, link, I'll trade you, know. you this PDF <laughs> for this other book that only exists in two languages. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we brought on, you know... We, we brought on someone who we felt like not only is one of the best at explaining the importance of BL scholarship, but also why it matters to all of us. Because mm. I can already hear it in, you know, the comments somewhere, someone saying, well, I just want to watch boys doing gay stuff. It's like, okay, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Same. Thumbs up, thumbs up. <laughs> I was doing a thumbs up gesture. That, yeah. Yeah. You know, thumbs up all around. None of us have a problem with that. But to those who, you know, in the echo of Dr. Thomas Boudinet saying, you know, that we have been as a fandom engaging with this stuff critically, many of us for decades, it's important to discuss why this matters and, you know, maybe even how to dip your toes in it if you are, you know, scholarship curious. If it's pride and you discover <laughs> If you're secretly uh, a closet academic, which yeah, if you're, if you're a closet to me, it happened to me, Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was too, yeah, I was too aggressive of an English major to be a closet academic. I was just running around with like I have a PDF. <laughs> no, I literally had my my professor uh, who was also guiding me through my bachelor's mm -hmm. thesis. He slid my draft across the table and he went in his I Irish Irish accent. I hate to tell you this, but you might be an academic. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> but um, with that being said, I would love to know maybe how you got your start um, in BL academia, because I think both of us have explained how we got our start in like fandom media and fan studies. Uh, mine was against my will. I had my senior research symposium and I really wanted to talk about some other kind of film. And my teacher was like, don't you run the anime club? It's like, yes. Yeah. Like, why don't you do something on anime? And I was like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> like I was really trying to be like serious business because, you know, I had the Western brainwashing of you can't be an adult and watch anime and cartoons for children. So it's like, I was going to talk about serious film like Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> but but anime was beneath me. <laughs> oh, yeah. And look at you now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you look at manga and anime studies in general, mm -hmm. like a lot of the early stuff is written by so-called Aka fans. And I've not heard a... 
I'm not honestly sure what ACAFAN means. Mm -hmm. Is it somebody who starts out as a fan and then they become an academic? It is, is it somebody who does a lot of research, but they don't have a PhD and they're not mm -hmm. publishing in the same like elite uh, gate-kept gate forums? Mm -hmm. um, so, but there are a lot of like early, yeah, a lot of early scholars in general who are doing that. Um, and then there are people who became like scholars, especially like scholars of, of Japanese literature or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then they either got interested in manga and anime because their students were doing it. And so they took that Japanese literary background to uh, manga and anime and then started applying it. And so that's where you get a lot of interesting textual analysis, but a lot of the earlier stuff wasn't really paying a lot of attention to visual, right? Mm -hmm. Or you get somebody who's, who's doing film studies and they, they turn to anime and they might or might not be an expert on Japan itself. And they might mostly know what they know about Japan from uh, other scholarship rather than mm -hmm. from their own firsthand experience. So me, I, I like to preface a lot of talks that I give. And also I teach a manga and anime course um, and I have for many, many, many years. Um, I like to preface it all with saying, I am not a fan. However, and then I usually pause for like the shock. Um, yes. <laughs> however, I have over time become a huge fan of fandom. Okay. And I... I'm so, I get so excited um, about the fandom and how enthused fans are. And so that's kind of where my heart is at the moment. Okay. Um, and I'll get back to how I got into this. But um, so, yeah, maybe I'll just do that now because my brain has just switched gears. <laughs> so, um, basically, I started out... I was doing a master's degree through the University of Sheffield in the UK because mm -hmm. I wanted to just work on my Japanese. They had this mm -hmm. distance learning kind of degree. I wanted to work on my Japanese. And I, uh, for instead of doing an MA thesis, you had the option of doing an annotated translation. And I mm -hmm. thought, oh, that's cool. It's, it's better for my Japanese than just doing research and writing a paper in English. I'll translate something. Because, you know, when you translate, then you're really forced to confront, like, you know, you're looking at the deeper layers of the language, right? If you're actually trying oh, yes. and it's fully, and then convey it naturally in English. So um, I was thinking I wanted to do something lesbian and gay related and lesbian and gay was kind of more the term, this is a while ago, this is more than 20 years ago. It was lesbian and gay rather than LGBT and or LGBTQ plus or whatever. Um, I wanted to do something either like L or lesbian and gay related or feminist related. And I, this was, right around 2000 and I there were a number of books on Japanese feminisms feminism in Japan and so I thought mm -hmm. well me translating something isn't necessarily going to be a big contribution then I looked at something about gay men in Japan and Mark McClelland um, mm -hmm. had just come out with a book on male homosexuality in Japan so I'm like oh, I wonder what's written about lesbians and I'm looking and looking and not finding anything because the internet was not as good back then um, and research tools in general were not as good back then. So um, I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll do something related to the lesbian community. I'll do something that would actually put some information in English. So I ended up translating 
this um, series of roundtable discussions that was in this lesbian magazine called Anis um on mm. the lesbian community history and they had different themes like six different themes um like community uh, activism film festivals blah 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 and they had one round table on media and in the media this was mizuguchi akiko or akiko mizuguchi mm. you might know as a really important bl scholar in japan um who has some stuff out in english and other languages um uh, it was Mizuguchi Akiko and uh, Hagiwara Mami. And sorry, mm -hmm. I am always doing Japanese names in Japanese order because that's how we write in English. No, uh, all of our listeners Japan. are weebs. They're fine. Okay. Yeah, that, we, we do that too. I also yeah. think uh, Mizuguchi Akiko, she has, she's she's on YouTube now, isn't she? She may well be. I think she, she may well have be. a YouTube channel. Yeah, she's done some really important work. But anyway, so it was, mm -hmm. it was Mizuguchi Akiko and Hagiwara Mami. And instead of talk, I don't, somehow they just ended up talking about Shonen Ai. Mm -hmm. And Mizoguchi Akiko in that interview, and she's written this other places, famously said it was through consuming Shonen Ai in the 70s that she became a lesbian. Mm -hmm. Now, if we get into trans issues later on, and I hope we do, I don't think that's exactly true. <laughs> but it, I think it probably defines how she was exposed to the possibility of same-sex relationships, and mm -hmm. that gave her something to look at in terms of her um, identity. Like, well, even like there wouldn't have been identity words in the text that they were talking about. This is Heart of Toma and the mm -hmm. Song of the Wind in the Trees. Um, so uh, anyway, so I'm like, well, that's fascinating. Why aren't they talking about lesbian manga? You know, which at the time I wasn't very familiar. I ended up mm -hmm. going off and like trying to find all of the lesbian manga that I possibly could. Um, and I ended up finding um, uh, uh, Fujimoto Yukari, uh, who's a really well-known scholar of shoujo manga. Um, mm. Fujimoto Yukari's book had a whole chapter on it. Um, yeah. And so I, and some of that, I think it's mostly been translated into English as well. But in any case, so I found that, I read everything. I ended up writing something about kind of tracing the history of representation of lesbians or, and I think I was basically using the word lesbians. This is kind of right before Yuri, right at the moment Yuri became a, a term mm -hmm. um, in both English and in Japanese and other languages. So um, anyway, but then a friend of mine said, well, why don't you write about the gay stuff? And so <laughs> I wrote this analysis of um, Toma no Shinzo, or Heart of Toma, and mm -hmm. Kase Toki no Uta, or the, the Song of the Wind in the Trees, I wrote this, mm -hmm. I was actually between my master's degree and I had applied to a PhD program, I was between that and I wrote this, and so this article called Beautiful Barb and Bent, which it, somehow miraculously I got into a really like top feminist journal um, mm -hmm. called Signs, and then I couldn't stop. <laughs> I continue to research feminisms. I continue to research lesbians or lesbian community, bisexual women, um, and community and so forth. But I just never managed to get away, which is fine because it's great. Because um, mm. there's just so much more to dig through. Anyway, so that's... No, yeah. I mean, that's it's. it was almost comforting to hear you say it that way because I feel like Curl and I are probably in pretty similar boats of like, we found gay stuff and we didn't leave. Yeah. And then we just kept digging deeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now, now look. 
<laughs> yeah. And, you know, to, to talk about, you know, queer identity and finding it through mm -hmm. Sean and I and Yowie, that was absolutely my path was yeah. I started, you know, fan translating in my school library when I was in high school and doing fan dubs and writing as a male. And it was, it was like another part of me mm. clicked in. It was like, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> and it was wonderful. So now I'm very, very proudly female assigned at birth, but a gender fluid bisexual. Mm. Um, and I would never have found that really if it wasn't for um, embodying several uh, problematic fictional blonde anime men. No <laughs> names mentioned, but... <laughs> Zero names mentioned. But there are a couple of things in there that I would um, love just, to dig into. Yes. Just keep going. Yeah. We have started recording, so I have to go let my cat in because he needs to disturb always. <laughs> Curla, has, Curla has the most um, wonderful cat named Sansa. Uh, maybe the cat will show up in a little bit. We'll see. The cat um, might show up. But the, what you were saying about like this writing as male characters mm -hmm. or this you hear in so many different cultural situations yep. and, um, and how this has come to help people understand how yes. they feel about themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how they feel about other people regardless mm -hmm. of gender or because of gender yeah. um so yeah when i um so i since we're talking about academics i will go ahead and start grabbing books off my table yes um, please so I, um, i'm holding up here the uh issue 13 volume or sorry number one so volume 13 number one of the journal macadamia not macadamia, like the nut macadamia, like mecca, as in- I struggle uh, so much with this yeah. publication. Everybody <laughs> calls it macadamia. And then it's, so it's mecca plus academia. So macadamia. Um, I um, edited an issue of this on queering, like queer, and then in parentheses, ing, queering. Mm -hmm. um, so this is in 2021 that this came out. Mm. And um, I was looking for, I assume we're going to go in all random orders so find that we're not oh, at all. There is, um, there is no path. We are on a boat together. <laughs> so I was, um, the Macadamia normally, they invite for invite submissions and then mm -hmm. the submissions are reviewed. They choose the ones that they think will best fit the issue. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to do was so the, the the submissions were just something to do with queer japan or east asia media like mostly mm -hmm. games manga mm -hmm. anime um uh, tom bodnet who you referred to already he has an yes. article in here um and but what i wanted to do was create little snapshots of the kind of global bl yuri etc mm -hmm. uh community that doesn't exist in any sort of citable, usable, oh, there is the cat now. Um, yeah. <laughs> usable um, form. And so I started reaching out, asking different people. I wanted to try to cover as many regions as possible. Um, and I ended up finding a librarian in St. Petersburg, Russia, who wrote about um, online, I guess it's sort of, it's not really cross-play because it's online, but online kind of an acting of 
male BL characters that led yeah. to real life romantic relationships sometimes between the women. And I mentioned this to probably oh, okay. Fujimoto Yukari, who I work with now. It's so cool because like when I was like a grad student, she was just mm -hmm. like, this, oh my God, she's so mm -hmm. amazing. And, and now I work with her. Um, but um, <laughs> I mean, she's still amazing, but. Um, that's, that's literally us right now. <laughs> yeah. Any, you're really too kind. Um, but anyway, so I mentioned this to uh, Professor Fujimoto and she's like, yeah, that happens. And she started listing all the other countries she's heard about that in. And yeah. I'm like, oh. But still I have, you know, and it's it's documented here in the, the context of Russia. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's like super, super common. Um, yeah, you know, we, we did an episode called The Fujin Pipeline in which we discussed that like a lot of us especially, it was like a very, very interesting, like, cl almost like closed phenomena of those of us that started reading, you know, in the early mid 2000s, which I hate admitting was 20 years ago. Oh, <laughs> I'm contractually obligated because both of us have birthdays next month. Don't. That was 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm, I, it is in the contract. You signed it. You signed it when you joined on. Um, that many of us did start out like this. Mm. And, you know, we were cis or about as cis as teenage girls are. Let's be realistic. About as cis as most teenage girls are. You know, and, you know, you just, you start writing boys having a lot of sex. And suddenly it's like, well, wait a second. Mm. Am I cis? What does that mean? Am I attracted to women and men or am i attracted to a very like effeminate coding of men um i role play and my last long-term partner and i used to date and through the process of role playing and writing usually as men we ended up not only falling in love but my partner came out as a trans man mm. so you had me aggressively gender fluid feeling very very comfortable writing and you know occasionally embodying male roles and then my partner found an entire whole of their identity. So it's comforting to hear that, you know, outside of anecdotal or isolated, you know, experiences with it, that, yeah, that's a much more, um, that's a broader phenomenon. And we were able to touch on it a little bit in the Fujin pipeline, because even though we have anecdotes, we also are horrible monsters that live, breathe, and sleep <laughs> on the internet. So. Oh God. <laughs> well, I mean, and when you look at, yeah, and anecdotes, they're all, they're great, but if I don't want to do my own original research, mm -hmm. and, but I want to reference something, mm -hmm. it makes it so much easier if there's something that's actually written down in a forum like Macadamia, not Macadamia, Absolutely. Macadamia that is citable, even if it's not a peer-reviewed, you know, mm -hmm. that gold standard of academic writing, it's not peer-reviewed, um, that section is, the journal is, um, mm -hmm. but the section is not peer-reviewed. Um, but you've got something that's describing this in another context, so you can easily say, you know, and this, and you know, that this also happens in Russia. Um, there's another uh, piece uh, that was uh, written about Israel and written about crossplay and then trans identities, and you know, kind of the 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 line between crossplay and trans identities in yeah. the context of Israel, right? And so, I mean. And which makes it, and you all know this, like how global this phenomenon is. We're in three very, very different time zones. Um, so, and, yes. yeah. No, that's, that's phenomenal. And, 
you know, every once in a while, my brain does revert back to being a very, very dumb American where uh, the sun and the moon revolve around the great United States of America. So, like, even though, like, the logical part of my brain knows it, like, it was still, like, a little bit shocking to me. It's like, oh, yeah, like, they would do this stuff other places. Because especially, like, American fandom for many, many years, uh, we were very, very isolated. We didn't talk to other people that weren't Americans. And usually because of, frankly, our xenophobia, we didn't try to talk to other people when we had the options. Some of us did, hence why my best friend is Norwegian now. <laughs> but many of us, even when presented with the opportunity to speak to other people, uh, we chose not to. And I think that's still one of the biggest issues in American fandom is our very insular view of how this is and that we do make it sound like we are the only ones who have ever experienced this ever but then someone will you know wave a flag somewhere else and it's like no just us <laughs> yeah and so holding the entire world to the standards to those cultural standards in particular yeah, yeah. No. And, I, and i hate it i hate it every time <laughs> I hate that there's mangaka that know what anti and pro shit mean. I hate that. Every day I wake up and that's a reality for me. I hate it. Well, um, I have many, many, many thoughts. But one of the things, in defense of Americans, if you didn't grow up in the U.S. and you didn't go through American education, you really are taught that the U.S. is the center of the world and the best country in the world. And I mean, everybody learns that their country is a wonderful country, but yeah. not many countries <laughs> there are a few others but not many teach that you're the center of the world and then you also happen to speak english which is theoretically the mm. global language mm -hmm. so um yeah well that was one thought no i've, I've lost others so let's <laughs> no it's true and especially coming from texas we teach like the center of america is texas and we're the greatest biggest state we can still secede from the union which i assume means taking a saw to the border of Texas and floating off into the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> Bugs Funny did that with Florida, but um, literally, I, I, so, I guess like that's what they assume that secession, like seceding from the Union, means is just hacking away and I guess detaching from Mexico somehow. But, but there was, yeah. yes. Oh, no, I wanted to go back to the language thing. I think one of the things that English-speaking fans. Um, sometimes forget is how fandom exists in many other languages mm. and uh, now if you are from Norway for example and you happen to speak English fluently sure you're probably participating at least online more in English than you know then I'm guessing more in English just based on interacting with global fans mm. but um and you can correct me if I'm wrong about that but that's, no actually that's What's really interesting is that this new generation, why am I hearing myself? Why is there an echo? That's a good question. Well, um, one of these interesting things about like the new generation coming out of, of Norwegian fans is that they communicate. I mean, we generally communicate be between us in English as well. So not only on the internet, but like in person, like I speak English to a lot of my friends in my daily life, but like in fandom circuits, you see that when people are cosplaying, for instance, they will communicate in English and, and that's how they stay in character. So it's very interesting how the entire fandom experience seems to be in English. And we don't have a lot of 
Norwegian language, like fandom language. We just use the English one in some cases, the Japanese or like the Chinese equivalents, you know, like. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes sense, right? If, if the text you're consuming are primarily in English, mm. then, or even if you are able to read Japanese or Chinese, even, you know, if you're one of those rare gems, um, not that this point, you don't need to, but in any case, you, you're still communicating about these texts in English because you're talking to fans who don't mm. read and speak Japanese. Mm -hmm. So I was, um, I've gone to the Philippines a few times to go to fan events there. And one of the things that I was really fascinated by is how much English is a part of the fandom as well. Mm -hmm. there, I think there's a lot more mixing. Um, you know, I was paying attention and I was asking uh, my friend uh, Kirsten Santos. She publishes academically as Christine yes. Michelle Santos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kirsten, I think she's just at Kirsten on Twitter. She's great. Um, Amazing. I was asking her, she's sort of like in... And she's like, yeah, which it's so what? Like, yeah, this is just how we talk. Um, yeah, we mix languages. It's fine. Um, but yeah, and, and I have a feeling, though, that it's, a, you know, it's related to that, that the text, you know, why would you, if, if the people consuming these texts also read English, why would you translate them into Gullug? Um, mm. Because, you know, I mean, there are local BL, there's local BL that's produced in Tagalog, but if, you know, stuff is circulating in English already. And if you want to interact with a, a more global fandom, then, you know, fans in wherever, Malaysia or South Africa or uh, Scandinavia or whatever, it's, it's English. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I still struggle with like the legacy of colonialism, uh, even though I'm African-American. Uh, I still struggle with like that colonial legacy that America has with like, a lot of culture in general is dominated by English. Like that's something that I almost like on an existential level have been kind of thinking about a lot recently, I guess, as I get into uh, the age that I'm turning, I'm just, I feel like I'm approaching death and I'm worried about that, <laughs> you know? Uh, but yeah, like that's, that's fascinating and horrifying to me as an American. Well, if we want to talk about like the colonial legacy a little bit, in terms of language and kind of jump back to BL studies. Yes. Um, I, you sent me in advance like a whole list of questions and we haven't looked at them and that's fine. Um, <laughs> I'm having a great fine. time and yeah. learning a lot and that's what yeah. matters. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, you were talking, one of the questions was related to how somebody could get into BL studies. Yes. And, mm. um, if, you are interested in studying BL in Japan, you do need to be able to speak and read Japanese. Your Japanese probably won't be perfect before you come over and either enter a graduate program in Japan or you are coming for a year or two to do research, but you really do need to engage with local scholars, local with local, well, obviously the artists themselves, and if you're doing like textual analysis, you need to be able to read it. Um, and it takes time to develop that. I mean, you know, I mean, I've lived in Japan for literally decades at this point, but um, you, you, I, I think there's a, there's a little bit too much 
in, and this is not just BL scholarship, this is in manga anime uh, scholarship, uh, fan scholarship in general that's focused on Japan. Most people, whatever they're training, they've learned Japanese and they're coming over and they're doing research. But I think there can, this, this idea that you can just kind of pop over, go to a few events and then write something out academically when you've never actually lived in a culture mm-hmm. and you're not, you don't, you're, you may speak Japanese, but you're not picking up the new, I don't feel like I'm catching all the nuances of stuff sometimes, right? So I I think we need to be really mindful of that if we're doing, if, if you decide that you're interested in doing BL scholarship, you know, you need to think about the focus. And if you're going to write about Japan or you're going to write about Korea or Thailand or China, you need to master the culture, not in a mm. kind of scary, you know, master way. But you yes. need to <laughs> thank you for prefacing. We appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. But right, and I and I think that that's important. No, I totally agree. I think um, you know we both, Coral and I, have the wonderful uh, luxury of knowing many people that are academics in this space, and I think. The ones that we're blessed to know are all, they probably wouldn't say that they're masters, but they're either masters or very, very, very close. Um, but I certainly have met and engaged with, and probably at one point have been, you know, an armchair academic who had seen one National Geographic special and, you know, assumed that my 20 years of anime meant something, you mm. know? Well, it does mean something, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean what you think it means. Exactly. Yeah. It does Especially mean, when you're dealing yeah. with a 20-year-old or more when a lot of stuff was localized in such in a different way, in a different mm-hmm. mindset. But I mean, if you yes. think about somebody like Erica Friedman, to bring her back up, you know, she decided, you know, she fell in love with Sailor Moon. She's got this story that she tells, and it's fantastic. I don't want to give you all the details, but basically she wanted to read more stuff, and she wanted to consume it like while actually paying the artists who are producing the work. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. she learned to read Japanese. Mm-hmm. Even though she was living in New Jersey, she learned to read Japanese. Yeah. Now, and she understands a lot of spoken Japanese. I've interpreted for her because she just really doesn't speak it because she's got no opportunities to speak it. So we've walked around a Yuri event together and it's really funny. You know, she'll walk up to somebody. Actually, this is, um, all right, this is silly, but it's not silly. And Eric, I love you. Um, <laughs> She walks up to the circle that she, you know, that she knows, and she walks up, she introduces herself, and she says something like, Erica Friedman does. Mm. It's that accent, which is fine, you know, but they had no idea who she was. And then I just simply said, And then, you know, this is in a, in a, a much more natural Japanese way of sounding. And they're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Before they've been communicating. And, you know, you need to spend time. And I'm sure if Erica spent more than a couple of weeks, and she never, she doesn't claim to be, you know, a, she's definitely an expert on Yuri, you yeah. know, but doesn't claim to be a scholar of Japan. She knows a lot more than a lot of people do. But, you know, you got to spend time here if you want to write, you know, if you really want to get into it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the all of like few days that I spent in Japan, I feel like I simultaneously learned a lot and then absolutely nothing. So yeah. much so that I'm I already very much want to go again. <laughs> well, I told I think 
I told my mom, like, after I lived here for a, maybe two or three years, everything I said about Japan the first year is wrong. <laughs> you know, I didn't speak Japanese at the time. I didn't know what was going on. I, you know, I, these are just all these assumptions based on stereotypes. And if you have stereotypes in your head, you're going to see them. Mm, right. That's yeah. true. That's and true. you need to become good enough friends with people that they start saying, uh, no. That's not correct. Yeah. Misunderstanding. But no, I appreciate discussing, you know, how someone can, how someone can get into it. And I appreciate that it is very much rooted in the reality that while yes, there is a space for, you know, on the fan level for us, you know, maybe who are not masters of culture, but definitely have spent years engaging and thinking in this, you know, to take yourself to the next level really does require a mastery um, that is a little bit deeper than just, I've been injecting Japanese media directly into my veins for, you know. Right. <laughs> but there's, there's some really great work about manga and anime in general and BL specifically mm -hmm. that's done by people who don't really speak Japanese very well. Mm -hmm. that's fine it's just you can only you can do certain things you can you can only make certain claims yeah yes not, you know you're not you're not as yeah anyway so. no i totally i totally get it i think okay let's pivot back to the questions that we had even though i'm having a great time um okay, we'll get distracted immediately i can tell <laughs> of course <laughs> so we have a question on here that i think is um, important to discuss and that's who is BL scholarship for and I mean that on both levels it's who is the study of BL academia for and then once that academia and scholarship is released who is it for because I think you know again dumb American brain when there's a bunch of you know published books and titles and journals I know when I was first in university I went to a small catholic college um, which explains 90% of my sexual deviancy. Um, <laughs> but I didn't feel like I was important enough to glimpse at some of these things. Like this was, you know, it was the Ark of the Covenant and I was a lowly, dirty smut eater who was, you know, in the dorms and I didn't deserve <laughs> to be in these spaces. And now I revel in it. <laughs> that we have more access but you know i i'm sure that there's people that listen to this show that probably do have a little bit of that same you know imposter syndrome inferiority that this isn't for me that i i, I can't do this i'm not i am not doctor you know <laughs> yeah well if you're just talking about reading it mm -hmm. i mean scholarship in general is for anybody who's interested in it you have to think though I mean, it's a little bit complicated, um, and there's been criticism of a lot of scholarship, especially things like ethnography, where we're studying, you know, going, it's it's often um, uh, sociologists or anthropologists are going in and participating in a culture and trying to get a, a, a an understanding of it, and people share their lives, their, their feelings, uh, their secrets sometimes, and then you write this up. I mean, on the one hand, you are doing this for your career, right? I mean, I have made a career out of, and it, it's not just BL, but I mean, I, this is what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. um, so 
on a, like the most selfish level, there's a little bit of that. But if you look at what most of the time, most, I, I, ideally, I would like to believe most scholars of anything are just trying to contribute to knowledge. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. We're trying to create a richer understanding of this, um, of whatever, of, of just, and in my case, originally Japan specifically, um, I was, you know, interested in gender and sexuality in Japan, um, you know, post-war, 70s, 80s, contemporary. And so I just want to contribute to an understanding of that. Mm -hmm. and, and which means that if you are somebody, even if you're not a university student or a scholar, you, if you're interested, by all means, you should be mm -hmm. reading it. I mean, granted, you know, I'm somebody who ended up getting a PhD, but I, when I was living in Japan in the beginning, I was interested in Japan. So I bought a whole bunch of academic books on Japan and I read them because mm -hmm. I wanted to know more. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, that's because that's it's for whoever wants to read it. Um, in the case of BL scholarship, one of the things that I've been kind of blown away by is how interested fans have been in it. Um, that there are fans who know me and they know other scholars, they know who they are. And um, th that tells you that it, it is working, that people are reading it. Mm -hmm. um, and like, so for example, the Queer Transfigurations, which I assume will get which is the the latest uh, edited collection that I've done? Um, I'm sure we'll focus on that. Oh, one. we're getting there. Don't worry. Wait, wait, wait. We're, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> um, so I, you know, when it came out, and you know, immediately a whole bunch of people, like I mean, immediately shot shot to the second or third on Amazon. Like when I can't remember which category, but it was something in you know something either gendered manga something lgbt literature or something it shot up and it was only for like a brief moment and i was just really happy but um <laughs> but that me just meant that there was this surge of interest there was this demand you know and that wasn't university libraries they take time right this is mm. fans who are interested mm -hmm. and i cannot remember who it was but um i could dig through and find it what somebody um on twitter with a following of like 70 or 80,000 people, a writer um, tweeted just how important the book was to them. Because mm -hmm. here is, and yeah, I don't, I mean, if you're not looking, I'm a white cis um, gay dude. Um, so I'm hardly um, an oppressed minority in this sphere. But, um, and so, I mean, yeah, I am the name on the book, but it's primarily written by women mm -hmm. and it's primarily written by people from asia or somewhat from asia mm -hmm. um and the the writer just the the person in the tweet was just talking about how important it was to have this topic discussed by people who are actually part of the culture yes. and understand things really firsthand um so you know and um i was at a uh, I was at Wycon in Paris uh, last <laughs> December, um, and somebody came up to me and he's like, "Oh my God, you're really here!" 
And <laughs> I love your book. I love, you know, and it was just made me so happy, you know, like this. So it meant something to, mm. for people to have, like, for people to take their culture seriously. Because mm -hmm. I do take it seriously. And I think everybody engaged in BL, most people really are fans. I think most BL scholars are fans. And like I said, I'm a fan more of the fandom, but it's only because people walk up to me like, oh my God, oh my God. No, that's, <laughs> I, anyway, I just love the energy. But um, yeah. it it's for whoever. Yeah. Right? So before we talk about the book, I do want to talk about that because that has been something that Corolla and I in our private chat have had several back and forths on is <laughs> a statement of, I'm not a fan, but I'm a fan of fandom. Hmm. And a part of me understands the fan of fandom part because uh, we analogized in a recent episode an aspect of fandom as being like a Goya painting of the Black Sabbath, which is a bunch of people uh, dancing <laughs> around a goat and then in the background a bunch of other very confused people. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a perfect which, analogy. That is Which is a lot of fandom in a nutshell. It's Here's a bunch of people doing objectively very weird things. And having a great time of it. Yeah. And then anyone who's not in group is just like, what? Well, I love festivals. Yes. I love any festival. Like, when I was doing my PhD and lived in Illinois, if, like, a little small town somewhere, like, had a anything festival, I would go because I love, even if there's nothing there, people are trying to have a good time. And fan events are like festivals. Yeah. You've got that same, you know, that festive feeling. And, you know, and this, this, um, there's, here, let me get a little academic on you. But, um, so there's, uh, and I probably shouldn't, I probably screw everything up. It's like, night, it's no. way past, my, it's not past my bedtime. It's past my brain's bedtime. Um, <laughs> but um, I think uh, this is, the, the, this idea of the carnivalesque, um, I think it comes from Bakhtin, I, um, and, and I cannot get his first name, but in any case, but it's just kind of this, if you think about like, and it's in reference to like Venice Carnival or something like that, where yeah. everybody's wearing masks and the rules suddenly don't apply. Yeah. And, and you know, you're a lot freer to do and say what you want. And, you know, so I think these events are festivals, right? Yeah. So it's the celebration. So it, uh, yeah, I just love that. Yeah, I, I work as an, I'm an organizer for one of the conventions in Norway. Uh, and we actually market ourselves as Norway's biggest fan festival. Like that's our tagline that we're a festival for people with amazing hobbies. Like that's because that's what it is. It's just people coming together and celebrating fandom and meeting like-minded people. And well, the, the, the tagline, if you look at the uh, the original um, poster for the comic market, you know, the mm -hmm. one that... Comic Cat, yeah. Pandemic, yeah, yeah, Comic Cat, yeah. Had like 700,000 people coming, you know, over three days or four days over the, that last year. Um, yeah. The the very first poster is something like Manga Fan Festival. Mm. So it is this festive kind of thing. It is. No, 100%. I think, you know, we use convention a lot in the US because I think like that, because everything in America is a corporation. <laughs> There's a, I, I do need to confess, though, that when I consume works, I often really like them. I just, 
as I tell my students at the end of the day, if I'm really tired, I'd rather watch a rerun, you know, of Bob's Burgers. And just because I don't have to think. And yeah. probably, you know, once it's BL and suddenly I'm analyzing it a little yeah. bit. You know, but, you know, I go to these events. I go to events in Japan or go to events wherever. And I come back. I come home and I read them. Yeah. And you know, sometimes I'm really amused and sometimes I just bought it for the cover. And <laughs> that's, you know, because the covers are pretty and, you know. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that I can relate to. Because Absolutely. Same, like, I'm a convention panelist. I go to cons and I speak. And when I'm in the hotel after talking about how great anime and manga is for an hour and a half, I'm watching diners, drive-ins, and dives. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. not going back and then absorbing more anime. It's, oh, Bar Rescue is on for four hours. Awesome. Yeah, or like, I'll be, you know... Like I'm currently neck deep in, in live-action BLs. Like, that's all I'm doing with my life. But then I'm like, okay... I need to do something else. I need to relax. I can't have, I can't be emotional and I can't use any energy. Let me watch a true crime documentary. Like, let, let me find yeah, something. Let me, let me cool down with some murder. Yeah, that's yeah. literally what I do. I cool down with murder. I'm like, I can't take this anymore. No, All right. No. Here we are. We're going to talk about the book. Are you excited okay. to talk about Yes. I know you didn't ask me, but I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We will get back to a couple more of the questions, but I feel like we've we've hyped up the book. We need to talk about the book. Okay. Let's talk about Queer the Transfigurations. And... I also have it right here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have one because they're $60 on Amazon. Their paperback is out now. Oh, yeah, thank God. True. Yeah. There's the paperback. Yeah. But yeah. I want it because the cover is done by Penguin Frontier. I who's love one of Penguin Frontier. My favorite smut artist. Yeah, he's. This is the cover of the Japanese version, and it's also <sighs> Penguin Frontier. And actually, so my. I don't know how well you can see this, and I don't know if people are just listening. But so there's basically there's three rows of panels, and there's two guys. The top panel is two guys. You can't see their eyes, but their their mouths are sort of. You know, mm -hmm. the faces are approaching each other, and the next panel is the torso, and they're leaning into each other. And the editor who uh, of this, she was so excited because in Japan the books have this little kind of band around them called an obi, mm -hmm. uh, which is the same thing with the, the belt and a kimono. And she was just thinking how exciting it would be to peel back. To see oh like yeah, the yeah, because yeah, I was and like, then, I want to see that. <laughs> and even then, the, the mouths are getting closer, but there's no kiss. Oh, isn't that that's the curse of BL? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so that explains my history. I found out about this book not first because I'm a rampant epidemic. It's I saw Penguin Frontier. He's like, I'm doing work on this, and it's like, yes. <laughs> but it's like I, I mean, this has nothing to do with anything. I did tag. Uh, Dr. Welker on on Twitter for this because I was I started watching Moonlight Chicken and I was like why does this one scene in Moonlight Chicken look exactly like this cover I was like and I can't unsee it now I absolutely can't unsee it it's beautiful actually the, the the weird thing about these so Penguin Frontier for those people who aren't very familiar with his beautiful beautiful artwork Penguin Frontier really loves Japan and most of his art is so clearly set in Japan. And most of the characters appear to be Japanese, whatever that means. They just appear to be Japanese. And um, Kirsten, again, Kirsten Santos, um, I'd ask everybody to kind of help me find cover art or uh, publicity art because this was originally the poster for the event that became this. And she suggested Penguin Frontier. 
And um, she sent a couple of images. And what I loved about this is because this looks kind of like it could be in Southeast Asia, and you yeah. can't really tell the who you know whatever they don't look particularly Japanese. And these guys too on the Japanese version, they don't look. It doesn't look as Japan as most of its stuff. And I wanted to use a non-Japanese artist, and I wanted something beautiful, and I wanted something that didn't look necessarily like Japan. So Mission that is published. Yeah. And fortunately, Penguin Frontier kindly consented to let me use his art. So, um, yes. That is so, amazing. Let's talk about the book. Tell us all about it. Uh, tell us about the effort, time, energy spent into it. So, um, the... This whole started um, back in 20, this would have been 2016. Like that's how long stuff takes. Mm. So this was 2016. Um, this scholar of Thailand, uh, he's a really well-known scholar of Thai Buddhism, but he also works on a gender and sexual minorities in Thailand named um, Peter Jackson. He's an Australian scholar. He recently retired from Australia National University. He wrote to me and to um, uh, Mark McClelland and Tom Bodinet and Dredge Kong. Dredge Kong is, uh, so Mark McClelland was, unfortunately passed away. Mm -hmm. um, he was a scholar based in Australia as well and Dredge and works primarily on Japan. And then Dredge works on Thailand. I think he's American. Um, and he is at University of California, San Diego. These affiliations matter to us. It's how we place people in our world. Um, and they really do, like, you kind of need to place people. And then, I mean, I didn't even go into, like, yeah, and Dredge is an anthropologist. Mark was trained in sociology, but mostly did history. Um, and Tom was a guest on the show, so you can dig back through and listen to that episode again. Um, see, I'm promoing your, your episodes. Thank um, you. <laughs> so, um, anyway, Tom, or not Tom, Peter wrote to us, and he said, what's going on? Like, this would have been 2016. Like, this BL is everywhere now. Like, what's going on? Maybe we need to take a deeper look. And I thought about it briefly, and I'm like, well, I could do something. And because I was a tenured professor, I was associate professor at the time, and my university has a budget for doing that kind of thing, which is really rare. And so basically, I spent six months trying to find appropriate panelists, which was really hard at the time, because uh, there, was, there wasn't as much networking um, just because uh, people are mostly working on one country and not others. And now there are a lot of people who are working across regions. Um, and so I got a bunch of money from a university. I held a symposium with, um, something like 20, almost two dozen, um, scholars from all over the world, just focused on Asia. And then I invited, um, five scholars who work on Japan to serve as discussants to kind of create a dialogue. And um, so that is kind of the origin story of the book. And what was really interesting about the effect of this book and how one of the things with my, when I teach, I try, when I teach about Japan, I try to teach how like Japan isn't just copying, um, the culture is going back and forth and influence is not as clear cut as it might seem. 
You know, like you can just take Tezuko Osamu, right? And you can say, oh, what, did Tezuko Osamu steal this from Disney? Did Disney steal this from Tezuko Osamu? I mean, stealing is probably not the right word, but you know, <laughs> it's going back and forth. So um, a bunch of Japan-based scholars, mostly Japanese, came to this event from mostly Tokyo, but people came from all over Japan because it was like the first major, um, well, no, that, not 2010, there was one down in Oita, but Yokohama has a little easier to get to. Um, so the, it was really influential. And the first of all, this woman came up to me afterwards and she spoke to me in Japanese and she's like, she came to me on the second day. She said, I don't understand English. I thought I would come the first day and just see what I could pick up. And then I was only going to come for one day, but I had, I learned so much and it was so fascinating. I had to stay for another day. And basically after each panel, somebody would sort of like say the main points of each thing. And I had told the panelists to, to do bad PowerPoints, you know, like put lots of words on them, you know, no, no, no picture, only PowerPoints, lots of words. Because there are people from all over, you know, with different levels of English. And she said, this needs to be a book in Japanese. And I said, well, I can't do a book in Japanese. And she said, I will make it happen. And I said, well, okay, you can make that happen. And so that's how the, the first book came out. Um, we ended up choosing um, around 10 of the 21 or 22 chapters that are in the English language book. And then... Um, included some chapters by Japanese scholars as well, um, focused on Japan to kind of contextualize in case this is your only, your only book. Um, and then because academic publishing, and that came out in 2019, and uh, because academic publishing takes longer in the US, it, that the, this Queer Transfigurations didn't come out until 2022, but it's in paperback as of February, so. Yay! Yay! <laughs> No, that's honestly wonderful, and I love that. And I love um, any time that panelists get credit for anything because when, back in my day, when I first started paneling, we were very, very important, and we were the backbone of conventions. And now uh, conventions treat us like we're pack animals, and it's very upsetting. Well, there is, you know, for sure, for sure. Um, <laughs> there, some of the people at this uh, at this event, and they're all there was a some like master students, PhD mm -hmm. students, um, mostly junior scholars, because this field is mostly younger scholars. Yes. There were a few more senior scholars, but not that many. It's mostly younger, uh, younger scholars. Um, but there are some who also do fan conventions, and I mm -hmm. have done a lot of fan conventions in the last couple of years. Um, so, but yeah, I think the, f anyway, about your experience, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think the panels are really important, and I love going to the panels when I go to when I go to conventions. I love learning like other people's takes on things. Yeah, yeah. I also love going to other people's panels, but yeah, that's amazing, and it's I'm so glad that it's out and it's accessible, and um, it's 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 here. It's, it's a thing. <laughs> now, Corolla, you wrote these last couple of questions. I want you to ask them. Oh wow. The pressure. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh Reading your own words. I know. Listen, I'm an author. I don't do a lot. <laughs> I don't do that a lot. No. Um, 
Oh, yeah, so we we covered that first. Just let me just scroll down in the. <laughs> I'm following. Okay, at least I have the 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 outline open for once. <laughs> so, uh, in the in the introduction, uh, Biel is referred to as a world shaping genre. Um, can you talk a little about that and the concept of queer transfiguration in both academic as well as in fandom spaces? Sure. Um, let me actually talk about queer transfigurations first and then talk yeah. about BL as yeah. um, yes. a world shaping genre. Um, so I, in academic circles, we have been using the word queer for a really long time. If you, you know, it, it really dates back to the 90s um, and, and before that, but 90s in, in early 90s in academia. And basically queer in academics, we always have to define it because everybody's got their own, there's their own terms. So like, yeah. why is he defining the word queer in this? Because we have to, because everybody's got their own definition. Yes. Um, for me, queer is anything that is like challenging the cis hetero, you know, heteronormative mm. world. Um, and so BL in this sense is queer and that it's depicting uh, two men together, in most cases, two men who may or may not be gay or bisexual. Uh, that's more and more, I think we've got more and more like kind of gay or bi identified characters, but in the past, mm -hmm. they mostly were straight, um, you know. And so it's queer even if the readers are mostly you know, I still probably still the majority, but I don't know. Um, in the case of Japan, it is definitely the ma majority, but um, uh, the majority are cisgender, heterosexually identified women. You know, with, and that's, that, I mean, that's literally how they identify themselves as cisgender, heterosexual. It doesn't mean that their, mm -hmm. um, you know, deepest, darkest fantasies might involve something else, but, um, <laughs> or deepest, brightest fantasies, I don't know. Um, so um, it's still queer because, that's not what good women are supposed to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. They're not supposed yeah. to be, you know, and in my, um, my work in general, like I'm looking at where this came from, right? In the 1970s, where, you know, romantic relationships are heterosexual. Women are not supposed to talk about or think about sex. Mm -hmm. And so you challenge this by you've got two okay so like if you look at a heterosexual couple right if you're reading a text about a heterosexual couple and you are a cis identified heterosexual or you think you're cis and heterosexual you're you're raised from birth to identify with a female character mm. and in romantic relationships if we look in a, in, in a patriarchal society like 1970s japan not that it's not patriarchal now but mm. <laughs> more patriarchal so you're identifying with somebody who's heavily constrained, right? Yeah. The female character. Yeah. Whereas if there's two boys, right? There's, they're a lot freer. And then if you look at the earlier texts, most of them were set in Europe, sometimes mm. historical, historical places in Europe. And so mm -hmm. it feels like the rules will be different. So you can get away with a lot more. And then if you, you can identify with the male characters, both of them, one of them, uh, neither of them, you can enjoy watch, you know, enjoy sex, you can enjoy looking at pretty boys, all of these things. And that's not what you're supposed to be doing. So that's still queer, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. It's still 
that's still very queer. It's always been queer. It's always been about challenging gender and sexual norms. So <laughs> to me, you know, it, it, it's queer. Transfigurations, um, I use the word transfigurations um, not from Harry Potter because, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm making an anti-turf face. Um, but because, um, I mean, transfiguration is basically, it's about change, right? Yeah. Transfiguration, yeah. it's used in the Bible, it's used in other contexts, it's about change. And mm -hmm. I define transfiguration is change in transit from one place to another. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at how culture changes when you take it from one place to another. So if you look at in Thailand, instead of this being basically still manga, it's mm -hmm. transformed into, it's transfigured into drama. Like yeah. Thailand is primarily centered on live action dramas. Yes, it is. Right? Yes. And in China, it's primarily text, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Prose fiction. For, you know, for, there's local, there's reasons for this, but this is how I'm using transfiguration. Now, there's a lot of other words that academics have used for a long time. They've used localization, mm -hmm. um, which has a different meaning in fan in the fan world. But localization, yes. you know, in, in academia, we're talking about, you know, how we make things, we change, we adapt them for local cultures. It, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's not a dirty word in the, like it is in fan, in fan circles. <laughs> um, localization, so it's sort of like, more attention to like the you know it's circulating around the world and yeah. then got words like cultural hybridity um there's a word transculturation um mm -hmm. there's a, a number of words but they're all basically about post-colonial cultures mm. yes and this is this a lot of this comes out of post-colonial studies so these uh, studies so these are people who are writing about india they're writing about places in africa latin america mm -hmm. and they're talking about colonized populations and how they engage with cultures of the former colonizers. Mm -hmm. Japan is kind of a weird situation because Japan, although it was, Japan was occupied by the allied uh, powers, basically the U.S., it's never really been a colony. And so I never was comfortable with using words that are sort of rooted in concepts that are rooted in post-colonial studies. And the other thing, and see my, I told you my brain is just going to keep shutting off, but so um, <laughs> it's, it, it was keep increasing as, and I, and I'm fine. I'm not tired. It's just, um, it's just how my brain works. But I understand. Um, the other thing is, is these, they tend, all of these concepts have tended to, uh, even though we know that culture moves in more than one direction, they tend to assume a different balance of power and they tend to assume that culture is basically moving in one direction and I wanted something that's not that that is not that and I wanted, yeah. so I wanted a new term and so that's I've been using the word transfigurations for or transfiguring transfiguration for a long time mm. because I wanted something else right um, that's can that can apply to post-colonial experiences but they can apply regardless of the kind of the power balance between cultures um, so when I'm talking about queer transfigurations, I'm talking about BL moving around Asia yeah. or moving around the world, and it changes as it, in, you know, it's changed by people who are bringing it themselves or they're adapting mm -hmm. it, they're doing things. And so that's why, I, that's what I'm using here. And I just want to, yeah, it, and anyway, it's pretty word. No, so, so I um, unfortunately was raised by Roman Catholics. So, 
when you use the word transfiguration, that is something that is very, very powerful in my mind. And it's this rapturous event of radical change and divine light. So, so that's an I do reference that. Yeah. <laughs> so I really Yeah, so not I mean kind not at all Harry Potter, but yeah, like it was that was very, very interesting to you because unfortunately Catholic indoctrination is hard to get rid of. Um, yeah. <laughs> not that you I, haven't tried. <laughs> I did try briefly in high school and then I gave up. Yeah. Well I, I do think that um BL has long had a special place in cultures and in the hearts of people who have very patriarchal upbringings and yeah. very like, kind of conservative yep. traditional upbringings. Um, you know, so I think because of the restrictions yeah. that, you know, on, on, especially on, on women, on girls, that this just appeals in a certain way that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, in cultures is great too, but it's, I think, People have come up to me and explained to me, this is it. It's because my parents were super conservative. It's because yeah. my parents were super conservative yep. that I really like this. No, 100%. Uh, my aunt was never big on the whole anime thing. She all thought it was satanic pornography. I mean, if she were to know what I read now, <laughs> she'd be correct. Yeah, it is. Some of it is. <laughs> some, of, some of it is. You know, if only she knew. But oh yeah, the, the minute she started taking away the soft stuff was the minute I was like, oh, I can do worse now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. But um, I, I love that. I love talking about how it changes culture to culture. Yeah. And how it's different. Because, yes, in the U.S., it is primarily um, manga. But we also had a very, very thriving culture of watching it as OVAs, as anime, mm. um, usually horribly, horribly dubbed. <laughs> so, but if you, um, and the, the reason that it changes is different in, in different cultures. So like, yeah. if you go to a country like, uh, Taiwan or Korea, where they've got very similar styles of arts, um, and there are lots and lots of people who are, even if not professionally, they're capable of drawing manga quite well, or manhwa, or whatever you want to call it. They're, they're capable of drawing it very, very well. And so mm -hmm. when you go to fan events, you get the same quality of, uh, you call them doujins, is that right? These, these, yeah. I'm sorry, I call it doujins because that's, I, my, my original research is Japan. Yeah, but doujins, like you get, the doujins are so professional, often they're so professional in quality, they're very similar to Japan. Yeah. But if mm -hmm. you go to um, Southeast Asia, and I've gone to events in a number of places in Southeast Asia, you may find some really nice illustrations collected in a book, but you're rarely going to find very many like manga or comics, right? Mm -hmm. That are actually in books. Part of that is like the art traditions are different. And there are comic traditions in all countries in Southeast Asia, but part of it's the art traditions are different. And part of it mm -hmm. is like, okay, so like if you go to the Philippines, right? If you go to, to Manila, the people who make it to blush, which Kirsten uh, has been, Kirsten Santos has been involved in organizing from the very beginning. Um, blush is the, the one of the, well, it's the main BL event. Yeah. Um, and the BL blush, you know, it's capital, right? Both. I L. love that. Right? Um, so if you go there, 
a lot of it's mostly um most people who are there are like late teens early 20s mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. i there's i don't remember the exact percent and i don't even want to speculate too much about gender but there's a mix of genders probably more cis had more cis female more cis women than anything else but anyway there's a mix of genders but most people just getting there buying the ticket that they spent all their money mm. so they're, gonna, they're there for the, the party the festival they'll buy a couple of stickers and at the end of the day that's it because mm -hmm. they can't they don't have money for yeah. anything else, you know so that kind of stuff is shaping what's available as well mm -hmm. and then when you go to a place like china it's easier to hide text online yes. yeah. than it is images in somehow, yeah. right? Or it's, it's easier to produce and share text online, hmm. right? Particularly when it was getting established in the early early to mid-90s, that's what you could do. Now, you know, there's a million platforms, and if it had come at a different time, it's quite possible that something like Webtoons or something um, or, you know, other, like, il illustration sharing websites would have been what people were using. But mm -hmm. that's not what happened. So there's any number of reasons why stuff will change, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So no, that's but the world, absolutely. yeah the world shaping genre. So or, um, so in terms, so Misa Gutiakiko, who we've already mentioned, she in her she published a book in 2015. I think an English version is coming out, but I don't know when. Um, she it's been published in Korean and Chinese for sure already. Um, mm -hmm. It's um, but she talks about BL as an evolutionary, you know, and I and I cite her in this. You know, she talks about it as evolutionary um, in the way that it um, well it, it it has evolved, right? yeah, mm -hmm. it evolved from what it was many years ago. It used to be arguably homophobic in some ways, but still. Um, Sometimes kind of hot waves, but um, <laughs> who doesn't want to see two straight guys getting it on? But I mean. um, yeah, so it's it's evolved in that way. But it's to me, BL has changed Jap. And you know, again, I focus on Japan. BL has changed Japanese culture. Mm. I think it really significantly has changed Japanese culture. When BL was established or created in the beginning of the nineteen seventies. One of the goals of the woman who encouraged um, Takemiya Keiko and Hagio Moto mm. to create works that ended up being these things was to um, make shoujo manga a more literary and respected genre. And yeah. so like, BL emerged at a time when shoujo manga was really evolving and it was, in, it was part of the golden age of shoujo manga right mm -hmm. and so in that sense it helps it was part of what made jojo manga so great in the 70s so it's creating this sort of world um in addition okay so like if you look at the history of like sort of lesbian and gay later lgbt culture uh, now i think we're finally doing a little bit lgbtq but lesbian and gay culture in the early 90s so in the early 90s you see like film festivals pride parades and such that start appearing mm -hmm. and the very first film festival if you went to the very first lesbian and gay film festival in tokyo in 1992 who do you think came to watch the movies straight women why because <laughs> they had grown up 
watching or reading BL, mm-hmm. right? Whether you call it Shonen I or Yaoi or whatever, they, they've grown up reading BL and they mm-hmm. became interested in same-sex relationships. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about that, they're coming, they're spending money, they're buying tickets to these things. That makes it possible to keep doing it. Yeah. Right. And so in this sense, it's helping support, um, it's helping financially support this emerging kind of 90s lesbian and gay culture. But also in the early 90s, there was what was called a gay boom in the media, and gay mm-hmm. really, really was primarily focused on men. Um, the gay boom um, was sort of kicked off by a, a film. There was a, a special issue of a, 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 a women's magazine called Crea, uh, on the gay renaissance and it was just featuring like all, all of these tv shows and books and so forth this is basically coming out of people who grew up as fans mm-hmm. yeah right? grew up a fan, as fans and so this even if it's mostly sort of objectifying gay men and it's ignoring lesbians and trans people mm-hmm. even if it's doing that it's still creating positive visibility yeah. Right. And so in his review of the Japanese version of this book, uh, this really important writer, thinker and activist named Fushimi Noriaki, in his review of my, the Japanese version, he said he really does think that the BL fans or the people who grew up re- made it a lot easier for the activism of the 90s. Mm-hmm. One of the people who was involved in the parades and in, he was speaking and so forth. This it really changed people's minds. And if you read um, a number of the chapters like that focus on India and um, like Indonesia and so forth, these are young women primarily who are the, the main fans who grew up in conservative, religious conservative cultures and they stumble on this, hey, what is this? What's going, oh my, what, 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 what is this? <laughs> right. they start becoming enamored with the characters, with the relationships. And if, you, um, if some of them, okay, so um, in the chapter on Indonesia, for example, um, Gita um, Pramaswari writes about um, that the, some of the, Muslim, you know, they're mostly Muslim women, right? Because, you know, vast, vast majority of people in Indonesia are Muslim. Um, some of them are sort of trying to make this kind of separation of BL from their beliefs about homosexuality. But some of them are using BL to rethink their values. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so that is shaping the world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then if we kind of circle back to uh, what, you know, Amanda, what you were saying about how reading BL caused you to maybe consider other possibilities. And <laughs> so it, it's done that for a lot of people. I mean, it if has. you Fan of it. it doesn't matter what country you go to. If you go to a BL specific or a Yuri specific, especially BL, but there's a lot more. You go to a BL event, you're going to see a lot of people who are not cisgender. Mm. Yeah, a, a lot, a lot of people who are not cisgender. Maybe just a little not cisgender. Maybe a lot not cisgender. But there's a lot of people, and a, for a lot of them, you know, based on you know, I did a survey online last year because I'm that's a direction of research that I'm sort of heading in, and a lot of people either came to a better understanding of their gender through consuming BL and possibly Yuri and, and other texts, or 
they like DL because of this. There's something relatable about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that that's why for some people, you know, and for, you know, the, the various threads of anti-discourse, you know, that's, I think, why some people find it so threatening at this point, yeah. right? That suddenly this is grooming. There, there was a review of queer transfigurations on um, Amazon that somebody that eventually got taken down because a person didn't buy the book. It was just literally attacking the genre in a really horribly transphobic way. Oh, I remember and, that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's gone now, thankfully. But um, it's really, ma- I think it's opening, I mean, the, the uh, Japanese um, book is which is BL opening doors. It really is opening doors into other worlds and other possibilities. And I think that's lovely. Yeah. No, and you're right. It's and it's so necessary. You know, I mentioned being in Texas, where right now we are having many, many discussions over human rights not being human rights, um, and it's stressful for all of us. Yeah. Right. And right. You're right. It's. You know, we had a lot of worries when I was a relatively privileged young person who came out to her friends by kissing girls in the stairwell when I was 16. <laughs> you know, we, we've backpedaled a fair amount from the relative luxury I had growing up. Mm. And I think it's so much more important now to root ourselves in the scholarship, to root ourselves in these yeah. narratives, um, to actively fight discourse. I mentioned this, we had a whole pro-ship, anti-ship episode, and I mentioned very firmly, I think the big thing that we need to do is we need to stop that old fawn response that we had, which is to leave, is we need to actively start denouncing this where it stands. So I think that this is incredibly important, especially now, yeah. to help us you know, root ourselves in knowledge because it's one of the best tools for disarmament that we have. Because many people don't want to have a meaningful conversation with us. They don't. Um, I mentioned this on, I do a literature show with a friend and I said, the problem with fascists is that fascists don't want to learn. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, not- it's very, it's very much the same with anti. like, we've talked about this, how, you know, you can link them to, to the academics, to right. the scholars, to the PDFs. They're not going to read them because they are stuck in their own little confirmation bias. Right. The fact that there's research and that it's out there, it is available. You can educate yourself. And that is mm-hmm. incredibly important. Absolutely. Carla, do you want to ask your other question? I mean, to- I I think we're sort of, we've sort of covered it because the next question is uh, also from the introduction, stating yeah. that BL is getting queerer and queerer. I think that's true. You largely covered that, but if there's anything you want to add to that statement, that BL is getting queerer and queerer. Well, I don't know if this makes it queer, but you know, one of the <laughs> things, and I'm sure you're you're aware of this, but you know. And this goes back to what I was talking about, how culture is moving in multiple directions. Mm-hmm. It's so, okay, sorry. Nin- 1970s, BL emerges right at the beginning in 1970s slash fiction, mm-hmm. a couple years later, right? Yeah. And then somehow this keep they keep going, they keep going, and, you know, we've got crossover fans eventually mm-hmm. when the internet and stuff makes this possible. But then you've got Omegaverse, which appears, and Omegaverse, uh-huh has worked its way into BL. And I know some, I think some Omegaverse stuff is being translated in English now, right? Yes. So like, it's, 
being, you know, the, and you know, Omegaverse is pretty queer, right? You know, if you're, if you're challenging. <laughs> For something that was so largely co-opted by cishet women, it sure feels on the nose very queer. Yeah, yeah. So, and then if you're going and you're actually changing BL, if you're reshaping BL in what seems to be the home of BL, right? But it, mm -hmm. that it's breaking down, It's again, it's breaking down, you know, the borders. Um, Tom mm -hmm. Bodnet has said, and other people have said, um, that, you know, Japan is no longer really the center of BL. It's just a, it's one of the centers yeah. of BL. Mm -hmm. And it's the center of a certain kinds of BL. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then dramas are mainly, you know, Thailand is the biggest one, but you know, they're coming from other places. Mm -hmm. And of course, Japan is ramping up its dramas because, because yeah. they're like, hey, wait, there's fans here? They want this? What? <laughs> oh yeah, we can do this. Hmm. And then Dame is huge. Right, uh, right. I think. I think, and I think that that's also interesting, like how, because when we talk about BL as a global phenomenon, that how, how it is now bleeding into one another and how mm -hmm. the global BL is affecting the Japanese BL and, and the genre as a whole, because you have, we have so many opportunities and people are bringing their own cultures and their own mm -hmm. backgrounds and experiences into the genre and then reshaping it so like you're saying like how a megaverse has been translated into japanese bl and then becoming its own thing and i'm not going to pretend like i'm a megaverse scholar because that's amanda's field yes <laughs> i, I am the megaverse scholar <laughs> <laughs> but but i think but yeah it, it 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 is a much more global and and a kind of more like a push and pull situation than it was a few years ago it's not as uh homogenous right Right. But in, so that's what Amanda was saying earlier, something about how she feels maybe not so good that um, manga artists in Japan are aware of some of this negative discourse. But mm -hmm. I don't I mean, I'm not happy that there's so much negative discourse, but I think it makes sense that artists are I think and I think it's a good thing that artists are aware of their global fans. Mm -hmm. um, I when I was in Paris for the for Wicon, um, the artist, and now I'm going to, oh, that's so embarrassing, which I don't think she speaks English, so she won't be listening to this. But she, she um, wrote about a genderless um, Danshi, or my androgynous oh, yeah. friend. Yeah. Um, what is her name? Uh, oh, Tom, my God, I know. Oh, it's, it's Tomiko. Tomiko, yeah. Yeah, so Tomiko was invited to this event by the publisher of the translation, so who paid for her trip. And... Um, you know, she was very interested in what people thought of her work. Mm -hmm. And she was very interested in engaging with French fans. So, you know, I think a lot a lot of artists are. They're they're they're, you know, they're they're curious and, you know, so and that, I mean that's not that's not BL, but it is very BL adjacent. Um, no, you're right. And I and I think that that's a valid way to frame it, is that I agree. I am glad that Mangaka and other artists around the world are aware of our petty squabbling. Oh. <laughs> but it's, it also isn't like this is a new thing, because if you look back at the early 90s and you had the whole Yaoi Ronso, like the, the Yaoi debate, like it's not like it's new. They've right. been around. I think my current angst is that it's affecting them in such a negative way. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm I'm very much I'm a I'm a, I'm a PR person in the day. So in my head, it's it's such a bad representation of what fans and fan culture can be, and like that part just like deeply like stop it, 
stop it. They're, they're, they're giving us stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but this has been incredibly illuminating. And not just because the sun is finally rising because it's eight. <laughs> There is no sun here. We don't have any sun here. It's uh, no our, sun soon. What? It's June, right? You should. It's June. It's June, but uh, Norway is special. We we don't we don't have summer anymore. We have two seasons. We have rainy season and we have winter. And like, it's still snowing in some parts of the country. So we're having a great time. <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. So we do have daylight now. So like, but it's mostly raining. So no, I I learned so much. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh Carla, do you have any other questions that we should ask as we wind down? I mean I have a lot of questions. No, but uh mainly uh do you have any research or current projects or anything that you would like to promote before we go? Anything? Um yeah, let's see. I am. Oh, I. Okay, so I don't. There's probably nobody. Well, there could be people listening. If you're actually grad students um, or you're early, early career scholars, don't do what I did, which is um, edit a whole bunch of different books and get lost and forget to finish your your main <laughs> book your monograph. And um, I've had a contract with the University of Hawaii Press to publish uh, my monograph. So which is looking at the radical feminists, like the emergence of radical feminism, the lesbian community and Shonen and I in the 70s and kind of like tracing it from the 70s and 80s and kind of looking at the parallels and the overlaps, you know, to give a better kind of contextualization of all three of them, because this is a, a time when women are challenging patriarch mm. in these different ways. Um, and that's actually where I came up with the word transfigurations from. And so this um, book, I finally, finally, finally submitted the manuscript. The <gasps> final. I've had a contract forever. So, and so that should be coming out at the probably early next year. And it's, I'm not sure, the title is still kind of subject to change, but it's something like uh, Transfiguring Women in Late 20th Century Japan. So please, you know, keep an eye out for it. It should be good. I still have a long time. I'm very excited now. Like, yes, this is exactly what I need on my shelf. <laughs> yeah, I'm also very excited. You know, you are definitely, when we talk about the baseball cards of academics, you are definitely one of them. <laughs> I know nothing about baseball cards, but like, you're like a shiny Pokemon card. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Baseball cards are Pokemon cards for straight people. <laughs> okay. But thank uh, you so much for being on the show thank, thank you, you for so enduring much. our uh rabid fangirling it was a delight thank you oh <laughs> where can it's our audience uh find you and all the wonderful things that you do honestly if you just google james welker japan or James Welker <laughs> manga, or James Welker lesbian, um, <laughs> or James Welker feminist, it just comes up. Um, so you can find me, but I mean, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. Twitter, I don't know, something like at James Welker. There might be an underscore between James and Welker, because it's old, it's an old account. And um, on Instagram, which is just mostly flower pictures and pictures of beer, um, is James in Yokohama, all one word. 
Um, mm. And yeah, those are my main things, I think. So. And we will definitely have applicable links in the description below. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, Curl, would you like to tell the listeners at home what we're covering for our birth month? Will I? Do I even know? <laughs> oh my god, I'm such a We had a meeting. I know we had a meeting, but my brain, wait. Yes, yes, I knew this. I, I just had to double check. This is my level of professionality, okay? Listen, I'm struggling. Uh, to celebrate the month of our birth and our aging uh, husks, I guess, <laughs> we're going to be talking about representation in BL. Yeah. yeah. It was a topic that we covered on the old show, but I think we can definitely do a little bit better now that I have a co-host that likes BL. I also think that a lot of things, because there's so much change that is happening, Absolutely. as we've discussed in this episode, so there's probably a lot of things that have happened since that episode. Completely. So hopefully we will make you proud uh, as we talk about representation next month. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try. We'll do our best. You can support the show at patreon.com slash shelf, where there are behind-the-scenes exclusives, ability to vote on what we wear for Halloween, and completely unhinged content. Very we'll unhinged content. To Dr. Welker's everything in the description below. And as always, thank you so much for being on the show. Yes. Thank Before you. we go, I just want to remind everyone that we're doing a giveaway. So, you know, go on over to our Twitter and help us celebrate 2,000 followers and 20K listens on the podcast. Yes. We want to give you some stuff. So come and tell us about your favorite BL tropes. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, as we always say, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll see you in the next one. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye. Bye.